Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Good job. There's a lot of chili out there. Smells good in here. And uh, I'm excited for um, what, is going to, what is going to happen afterwards. So if you're, if you're new, this is not how we're normally set up on a Sunday morning. Um, we're, we're having a chili cook-off and a little church family time um, after service. Um, we don't have a lot of business to cover. We're mostly just going to spend some time together as a church family. And we'd love for you to um, hang out with us. And then we have, um, we have awards for our chili cook-off. And so there's some tension in the room. You can feel it. There's been a lot of chili smack talk going on the last few weeks directed at me, and I'm here for it, and I think that I'm going to do well. So, just saying, it's going to be okay. Uh, I don't know. Do we have an announcement slide? Um, a couple of things coming up. Um, this Layers of Dignity that we've been collecting some, um, some supplies for uh, women who have been victims of sexual abuse. Uh, we've been talking about that, and that event is going to take place on February 18th. And at Adopt-A-Block, we had that last, um, last, yesterday morning, we'll be doing that again um, every second and fourth Saturday morning, actually, we'll be doing that. So um, those are, we have a couple of Bible studies that I'm going to talk about in a minute that are starting, one started last week, another one's starting this week that are going to track with our series in Romans um, that we're starting next week. And so a guy study at 6.30 here in, at the building, and then a women's study that I think is on Thursday afternoons, but I'm not exactly sure when that is. So... Um, so those are a few by way of announcement. We are in between uh, sermon series right now. So we just finished a series. It was about the presence of God through the sweep of Scripture and, and that God is present with us right here. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, and he is with us in the room. And, uh, and we're starting a series next week in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is, is just widely seen as the best explanation of the gospel and why we need Jesus and how that matters in our everyday life. And so we're excited to spend um, some time in that. I wanted to spend the morning talking about church. And, and um, right after my message in the second set of songs, we're going to baptize a couple of students. Over the next few months, we've got a handful of students that are going to get baptized. And if you need to get baptized, we would love to baptize you. And for a church... Um, one of, the, one of the students this morning is, is one of my sons. And so as a, as a family, as a church family, we will not have many more significant days than when we baptize, when we have some kids that have grown up in our church that are declaring their faith in Jesus and their decision to follow Jesus. We just won't have many more significant days. Um, and I want to spend the morning talking about what we're doing here as a church like what we're about as a church, um, how we do that, and why it matters so much. So our mission statement as a church is helping you come to know and follow Jesus. Uh, helping you come to know. And... Oh yeah, it's kids. You can go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It did seem a little like rumbly. Um. Helping you come to know and follow Jesus. Now, I had, I had a breakfast with somebody who's newish to the church, had some questions, wanted some details. He's like, yeah, the mission statement is kind of like every other church's mission. Is there like a playbook for starting a church? I'm like, well, 
I mean the Bible, kind of, you know. Um, and so we all do have similar mission statements, and that's a good thing because the church is on the same team and we're all pulling in the same direction or should be. You know what I mean? And so Jesus said to his disciples, you know, at the end, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And, um, and, and that's, that's what he called his disciples to do was to follow him. And so that's what we're doing. I mean, this is about discipleship and growing his disciples and making disciples and helping people come to understand who Jesus is and their need for him and to know him in that way and to love him and to follow him and to become more like Jesus. That is what we're about. And so if, you're, if you've been at Oak City Church for, you know, a, a minute, if you've been following Jesus for a while, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you're new to all this, like, I just want you to sit back and listen to this, you know. But have you come to know and follow Jesus better than you knew and followed him before? Like, has that happened? Have we accomplished what we've set out to do? Have you grown as a disciple? We're like, are we wasting our time? Um, and as I ask that question, how do you know? Because this is the wall I beat my head against all the time, you know? And as church leaders, we do. But how do you know? And it's not, uh, it's not the easiest question to answer. So let me throw out a few verses, and I'm just going to read these and super quick. So 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. I mean, the clear statement, this is what God wants, your sanctification. Sanctification is like a sanctuary is a holy place. And so sanctification comes out of that for you to become more holy, like because Jesus was holy and to become more like Jesus. And that kind of seems like, oh, I'm just going to pray all the time. But Jesus was about so much about caring for the people around him. And so that's our sanctification. Uh, Romans 12, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you can discern what God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is. So, like, there's an element of don't be conformed to a world that does not believe the same things that you believe about God and yourself and Jesus and reality. So don't be conformed, but by the renewal of your mind, be transformed. There's a transformation that happens as a disciple of Jesus. Uh, John 13, and this puts it in a little bit different way. A new commandment I give you, Jesus said to his disciples, that you love one another just as I've loved you, that you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And I don't know that the church today is marked by that, but Jesus said this is what the church should be marked by. This is what you're being transformed into is a group of people that love extremely well and love the way that Jesus loved. Right? That's a marker of are we growing as disciples. And one more verse that puts it in a little bit, even a little different flavor. So 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Now, like, a sanctification doesn't feel like obedience, like doesn't feel like freedom, but Jesus says it is freedom, like freedom to follow and to be who God created you to be. And he said, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so as we behold 
the Lord. I think about that every Sunday morning when we come in here. We pray that we would like be able to not focus on the things that we're stressed out about, all that's going on in our lives, but like we would just be able to surrender before the Lord and have one of those moments where like we're with Him, and those are the things that are going to change us, being in the presence of the Lord, and so we're being transformed. Now, it's just not easy to evaluate. Are we growing as disciples? It's not about trying harder and, and being better, but it is about transformation. I think in a way it's about a reality setting in and transforming every aspect of your life. You've received, if you're if, or following Jesus, you've, you've not just made a decision, but you've received a new identity in Christ. You've become a new person. Um, I thought this week uh, about, about if you won a billion dollars in the lottery, how that would instantly change your life, but you would have no idea all the ways that it changed your life. Like, it would take a while for that to set in, um, good and bad ways, right? It would change all your, you might think it makes everything easier, but I bet it makes a million things harder. Um, and so, and you could, you could win a billion dollars and still rack up a bunch of credit card debt, right? Like, you could still live like you're living day to day or paycheck to paycheck, even though you had that because you didn't know what to do with it or you were paralyzed by it. And so in a, in a similar but really different way, when, like we are spiritual trillionaires in Christ. We have all these riches in Christ and the righteousness that Christ has given us and the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us. But sometimes we live, we're still racking up credit card debt spiritually, right? Um, that analogy breaks down quick. But, but like we're living paycheck to paycheck, not realizing all that we have. And, and growing in Christ is realizing all that you have and what it means and how it transforms your life. Uh, have we grown? Let me, let me turn this in a little bit different direction because I started thinking about when you grow as a disciple, you, you grow, like it kind of comes in, in ebbs and flows in seasons. So when have you grown the most as a disciple? Like we've got the growth chart on our uh, kitchen wall and so, you know, kids, every six months we track, it's a big deal in our house. And so every, like you can, you can track it in some six months, they'll grow like three inches and another six months they'll grow a half an inch, you know? And, and that spiritually, I feel like that's what happens, that we grow in different seasons. So I thought about, I don't you think about, like, when have you grown the most um, in following Jesus? Uh, and I thought, like, there have been some seasons of great conviction in my life or opportunity where, like, I realized God had pointed out just how much I needed to grow <laughs> and convicted me of sin. And so there was growth that happened in those uh, in those seasons. I thought there have been times, of, seasons of like teaching that really spoke to me. So when I was in um, graduate school in Columbus, Ohio, and in a season of great conviction where I was repenting of many things, uh, I went to this church, and it was big church, and this preacher, Jim Custer, was kind of like a fire and brimstone type guy. And, um, but man, I loved his preaching, and it really like spoke to me. When we started this church, I started listening to Tim Keller a lot, um, and he changed the way I thought about the gospel. And, uh, and so seasons of great teaching. There are seasons of great service or risk. So when we, um, when, uh, when I moved down here, and my wife and I met at, at Hope Community Church, and I actually didn't connect with, with Pastor Mike's teaching a whole lot. I was a little bit surprised how well people did connect with it. But like, I knew God had me there, and it was a season of of serving. And so I went there and volunteered with the youth group and quit my job and came on staff as a youth pastor and grew like in huge ways because I followed what God wanted me to do in, the, in that time. When we started the church, that was a season of service and risk. Then we moved our family downtown to kind of a tough part of downtown and, 
It was crazy, but it was great, and there was growth that came um, from that season. Our season's a great community. And so when, uh, when I was in grad school and started going to that big church, and I was young and single and had all sorts of time, and, and so I just spent tons of time with these people and formed really meaningful relationships because we had the space to do that. When we were at Hope early, and um, Hope was just blowing up, and, and man, it was fun to be a part of it in that season. When we started Oak City, there was a, just a season of community and newness and fun um, and honestly, I feel like the last couple of years, because of trial, it's been a similar season of community that we've been entering into. And I think I said this last week, I heard someone say this in a podcast a few weeks ago, um, that the difference between kindling and coals, and I feel like when we started the church, we had a lot of kindling and some lighter fluid, and you know, and it burned bright, and burned fast, a lot of it kind of burned out. <laughs> and after 15 years, we've got some coals. Uh, that are burning deep, and God is putting wood back on top of that. I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would blow on those coals, and, and it's a new season. It's a different season for us as a church, and so those seasons are times of growth and seasons of, of great trial, and, uh, and I, don't need to, I don't think I need to say much more about that, but those trials are times when, when we grow. So when have you grown the most? Um, how are you different now? than whenever the then was. Like at the end of one of those seasons, how are you different than you were at the beginning? You know, people at work have key performance indicators. This is the language I've heard now, KPIs. How many have KPIs at work? Is that a real thing? It is, people have them, yeah. Like what would KPIs be for discipleship? And this is where it gets like that, I don't, these are hard to measure, you know? And here's my hope for me and for you, that, uh, that as we grow in Christ, that we would be more gracious to the people around us because of our deepening sense of how gracious Christ has been to us. Like that would be an indicator of discipleship. Um, we would have a deeper understanding of and appreciation for and conviction in the truth of the gospel of Christ as like the fundamental reality of our lives. And that would be an indicator of discipleship. We would spend less time trying to prove ourselves, trying to defend ourselves. One British pastor say, like, he stopped trying to defend himself because he realized there's just not that much there to defend. And I think that's a sign of spiritual growth. I would hope we'd be less drawn to the bright, shiny objects that the world throws out all the time and says, this is it. And we just wouldn't take that bait as much as we used to. And that would be an indicator of growth. I'd hope we'd be more ready to trust God and obey him because he's brought us through difficult seasons and we know that we can trust and obey him. When Matt Noble was up here sharing his story, he and Ashley were up here, I forget exactly how he worded this, but like he just has no doubt God is going to, to be faithful and come through because of all the times that he was faithful and he came through um, for them. I would guess if you've grown in, in growing as a disciple, you've got some scars. Because to follow Jesus, um, the, the Bible says, is to share in the sufferings of Christ. And when we, when we are being sanctified or around, when the people around us are being sanctified, that's a hard process and we screw lots of stuff up and we hurt each other and we need to forgive each other. And like that stuff produces some scars and it's just a natural result 
of walking with Jesus. I would hope that we have a deeper sense of satisfaction with life. I would hope that we have a deeper sense of wonder for who God is and the world that he's created and the miracle that life is. And I would hope that we have like a deep hope for the future. Those are the things that I think, man, this is what it looks like when we grow as disciples of Christ. Those things are really hard to measure. (laughs) They are really hard to put your finger on and and measure. Um, Now, when, uh, so when we think about what we do, like how we do things as a church, um, how, how do, what are the, those are outputs, the things that I just listed. What are the inputs that lead to those things. And so uh, how do we as a church facilitate growth as disciples? This, um, this metaphor, like I used it for a long time, the last year or so, like it's really grabbed me. And so Paul at one point says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he knew plants nor he knew waters is anything, but only God who causes, who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are not one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so these church leaders, Paul and Apollos, they planted and they watered, but God did the miracle. And that's just how it works. That um, as folks that are part of the body of Christ, we, we put things in, we plant and we water, but God causes the miracle. Jesus leans into this metaphor when he talks about the parable of the mustard seed. He says the mustard seed is the tiniest seed. You'd never guess what was going to happen, but you put that in the ground and you nurture it, and then, boom, this giant tree comes out of it. Um, He talks about how he is the vine and we are the branches, and so there's like this connection to him. And when we're connected to him, like that's when the miracle happens. But when we're disconnected from him, then there's probably not growth going to happen. But it's abiding in him, and that's like the input, you know? Uh, he talks about reaping and sowing and reaping, and he says to his disciples at one point, you guys are going to reap what someone else sowed, and this is why it's probably good that churches have similar mission statements, because we're all on the same page, and you, we've all grown in different churches, you know, and that's great, because we're all moving in the same direction, and so we might sow what somebody else reaped, and somebody else might sow what we have reaped, and that's a super helpful metaphor as a church leader. Uh, because it's easy to understand that we can till soil and we can plant seeds and we can water seeds and fertilize them and we got to kill some weeds and we got to keep out pests, but then we got to wait for the thing that only God can do. And we got to remember that only God can do the things that we really want to see happen. And He's got to do that. And we got to pray to Him um, and implore Him to make those things happen. Uh, last night we were in Virginia at a, at a banquet for our oldest son who's in college up there, a soccer banquet. And afterwards, we were just talking to him. And I probably wouldn't say this if he was here, but I guess your kids never stop being sermon illustrations. I felt like I've done a good job with that over the years, but they probably don't feel like that. But um, he was talking about this worship night that they have once a month where 80 students from Virginia Tech and Roanoke College jam into some dude's house, and they've got a full band. I'm like, how big is this guy's house? He's like, well, I mean, it's, we jam in there. Like, they're just jammed in there, and how amazing this worship night is. Now, he was not talking like that when he was here, you know? <laughs> but we were planning, and we were watering, you were planning, and you were watering, and God has, has caused growth that is a miracle. And that's how this works. And so you harvest and you celebrate the things that God has done and give God glory for the things that he has done. 
And that's great in a sense because it's predictable and you could expect if you put the inputs in and you're faithful, farmers that are faithful can expect to harvest. Sometimes things go crazy and you don't get it, but, uh, but you can expect it. Um, predictable can be boring, um, but growth is a miracle and there's nothing like it. And the growth that God brings about through the work of the local churches um, is a miracle and it's not going to happen anywhere else because no one else, nothing else in our culture is seeking this type of growth, right? In a world where people are lonelier, they are more divided, they are more uncertain about the future, they are more stressed out about the present. Does the world need the work of the church, the miracles that God is going to do in the church? A million percent. There's no part of our culture that's encouraging you to become more gracious and more selfless and more patient with those around you and more committed to something bigger than you. And the miracles that happen in the church, like we've seen miracles here. Like I look out on Sundays and I know where the bodies are buried and I know the miracles, you know, and we can't like tell the miracles get told in their time. We think miracles happen in an instant, but most miracles happen over long seasons. Like we live in a microwave world and God is working crockpot miracles. And that's how they happen. Man, those miracles, there's nothing boring about them. Uh, so there's a predictability to it, but not, it's not programmatic. It's not, it's, the church isn't a factory. There's not a perfect program because everyone's situation is unique. Your story is unique. Your personality is unique. Your past is unique. Your future is unique. And, um, and that's part of why the baptisms that we're going to do today and over the next few months are miracles. And, and in a way, harvests. In a way, ends. In a way, beginnings. Because, and I can remember the words that we read when we do children or parent dedications, really. The commitments that parents make and the commitments that we as a church make basically to plant and to water and to feed and to protect and to nurture and to pray and to wait. And these baptisms haven't come out of nowhere. Like these kids have been asking about baptism for a few years now. Like, will you set that thing up? And I don't, I slow roll kids' baptisms, students' baptisms, because I want to make sure that they're not doing it because their parents want them to or because we want them to, or because they think Jesus is going to like them more, but they really, like, they get it, and they get it. And it's something that we should celebrate. So let me talk for a few minutes about the, the how and what we feel like we're planning as a church. How do we create the conditions of growth? This is how we think about it as church leaders. And these four things, like if we can create these conditions, we think God is going to cause growth to happen because it's biblical. That The gospel, there's content, uh, meaningful relationships, um, a place to serve, like, and then, and then a heart for folks that don't know Jesus. So, so content and the gospel. And every week, we're trying to just tell in little ways and big ways the whole story of the Bible, that we were create, created for the Lord and for relationship with the Lord. Sin has disrupted that relationship with the Lord. He went to great ends to show us we had a problem that we could not fix. And then said, you don't need to because Jesus is going to fix it for you because that's the only way it gets fixed. And so he showed us what we're supposed to look like when we're in perfect relationship with the Lord and then with the Father. And then 
and then died on a cross so that we could be in perfect relationship with the Father, and then rose from the dead to show us that we have that same power in us. And that is the good news of the gospel. And we try to declare that here and back there every single week, right? You need content. We have encouraged over years a Bible reading plan. We haven't talked about it much in the last six months. We'll come back to it. Just give it a little rest. Um, because we know if we can get you more than just coming on Sundays, but every single day to plant and to water and to feed on your, on your own and spend time listening to the Lord daily, that that is going to accelerate transformation. When my kids like are in Bible reading programs and reading on their own, like, man, I think, gosh, that's perfect because now God is getting to them directly, and that's what we need. Our home groups over years have been a staple of our church, and content is distributed through our home groups, and that's a part of the life of a home group. We've had Bible studies over the years, various types of Bible studies. We've had classes, you know, that are focused on um, Ken's theology class or, um, or Weston's or a parenting class or a financial peace university class about money or marriage or evangelism or um, prayer, like ways that the gospel applies to specific areas of our life. We help people out, a lot of people out with counseling, and that, and, but we use biblical counselors because we want the gospel applied to specific situations in their life. So content is a huge input for us. Meaningful relationships like are the, are the I don't know what, the soil within which you grow. Um, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Um, I, I was reading through this week that a guy listed out the 59 passages in the New Testament where it talks about the one another's, like these things we do for one another that you can only do in context of meaningful relationships. And um, 16 of them were love one another. Like that is the priority. And so are we growing in how we, we love each other? Uh, be devoted to one another. Five, greet one another's with a holy kiss. Uh, four, encourage one another's. Honor one another. Be patient with one another. Bear with one another. Forgive each other's um, whatever grievances you might have against each other. Build each other up. Pray for each other. Speak to each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so, and so meaningful relationships that are a safe place for you um, where you can be open about the things that you're struggling with and not be condemned in that, um, but receive grace. So safe place, but not too safe, right? And so there's an instruct one another and teach one another and admonish one another and confess your sins to each other. And so a place where people aren't afraid of making things a little bit uncomfortable because conviction is uncomfortable and leads to growth. Uh, you need people that are on the same page, headed in the same direction, who aren't going to judge you in your moment, who are safe but not too safe. And that's like a, creating the conditions for growth, we look at. A place to serve. Um, some of these one another serve one another, carry each other's burdens, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. and humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Uh, Dan talked about this a few weeks ago, the, we're the body of Christ, and so we're, we all play different parts, and we have to play our parts. And so... Um, Challenging people to find a place to serve is creating conditions for growth and a heart for friends who don't know Jesus. Um, the church is made to go. The gates of hell will not stand against the church. Um, the world needs the message of the gospel. And so cultivating a heart for the people around us and, and reminding us of the purpose of the church and what God wants to do through us. There's a passage where it says Jesus went through all the cities and villages, te teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
you can't look around right now, and I don't want to say this in like a condescending, pejorative way, like as another sheep that has found a shepherd and see our culture as harassed and helpless like sheep that really, really need a shepherd and want to say, hey, Jesus has the answers to these problems. Like how do we cultivate that heart and the confidence that God wants to use this? So those are conditions of, of growth, content, meaningful relationships, serving, and heart for those um, who don't know Jesus. The, the mission of our church is helping you come to know and follow Jesus. And so this is how we've, we're kind of queuing this up for this year. We've taken those words, come, know, follow, and help. Come, know, follow, and help. And we're just going to talk about these on a semi-regular basis. So come to, and, and come to church on Sundays. Come on Sunday mornings. Um, know each other through group life. Uh, follow Jesus by serving one place well. And then uh, help a friend discover Jesus. Come on Sundays. Uh, know each other through group life. Uh, follow Jesus by serving one place well, and then help a friend discover Jesus. So let me talk about these. Come on Sunday mornings. All, all the things that we think create the conditions for growth happen on Sunday mornings. You always get content. Your children are going to get content on Sunday mornings. Um, the relational aspect of Sunday mornings is increasingly important with the busier that we get. Like the rhythm of every week being here. The lobby is a part of our liturgy as a church. I love the lobby as much as anything that happens on Sunday mornings. And just the, the week in and week out, the year in and year out, the relationships that you have with people matter. Um, there's opportunities to serve on Sunday mornings. That's not the only place you can serve, obviously, but, but it is a, a helpful and convenient place to serve. And evangelism happens on Sunday mornings. Whether you bring somebody or not, there's always someone new here on a Sunday morning, and you never know where people are at in their walk with the Lord on Sunday mornings. You never know. If some, this is the first time someone's been to church in 10 years, and church is the scariest place in the world to go to for the first time. I was on sabbatical this summer. As a pastor, I didn't want to go to church because it was just scary going to churches with people that you don't know. Like it just is. And so what you do, what we do, a community that loves each other well is a picture of Christ. We're asking you to make a commitment that if you're in town, you'll be here on Sunday. And I'll say this as a church, we're not too bad at that. We're probably pretty good at that compared to a lot of churches. But that consistency matters. And I get sometimes, sometimes you got to work on Sunday mornings and you can't be here. Sometimes you're traveling on Sunday mornings and you can't be here. I get that. Sometimes you just need a morning, um, and I can get that. If you need a morning twice a month on a regular basis, you need to change your schedule. You know, like some other part of your schedule is out of control if you need a morning all the time. And I'll say this, like, if I, if I on a Tuesday night say, you know what, I don't know if I want to work out in the morning or not. I'll just see how I feel when my alarm goes off at 5 o'clock in the morning. Am I working out Wednesday morning? I am not working out Wednesday morning. Uh, I am sleeping in. And, but if I say, you know what, at 5 o'clock in the morning, I am not going to work out. But at 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm probably going to be really glad that I worked out. Then, I'm, then I will because I've made the decision beforehand. And that's what we're asking um, for you because, uh, because it, the consistency is what we're called to. Um, let's not forsake the gathering together as, as, as the habit of some. Uh, but to continue to meet and encourage one another and worship the Lord together. The, the, the five kids that we have on track to get baptized this, this spring, I thought four of them have grown up in our church, and their families are amazingly consistent. And one of them, like they're new here, but they're here every single Sunday. <laughs> I'm sure their, their, their daughter has been in church like almost every week of her life. And man, the consistency matters. 
and the, and the, the dedication of a family to say this is important enough that we'll be there signals something, that there's something there that's important. So we're asking you for that. Know each other through group life. We focused on home groups um, forever from the beginning of the church because in a home group you're going to get the content and you'll get meaningful relationships. And, um, and, I mean, churches have done that forever. It was Sunday school before home groups. Now some churches are going back to Sunday school because of schedules. We might do that if we had a different building, but we don't. And so we're adding some Bible studies. Um, there is a Bible study. Um, we're going through Romans, and so at least one guy's and at least one women's, but I have a feeling those are going to multiply. The guy's one is starting at 6.30 Wednesday mornings, and it's going to be content. It's going to be Romans, but, but any time you gather to study the Bible, you're going to get meaningful relationship. And is Katie in here or Becky? Neither one of them. What time is their study? Thursdays at 1 o'clock. So that information is out there on the website and in the weekly. Um, and that's probably going to multiply too. So we would love to have you join um, one of those. Because you'll get content, because you'll get meaningful relationships, and because it'll matter. Rebecca, can you come up here for a second? So I just uh, was thinking, who, who has probably experienced a lot of growth through group life. And Rebecca is, so this is Rebecca Hall. Everybody say hi, Rebecca. So how is your experience in two different home groups, right? Yes. Um, contributed to your um, growth? At first I didn't think it really did. I, it was. Get a little closer. Uh, it was just what I did, but. Looking back, I can see that there were little moments, little conversations, little investments, little changes here and there that has changed me. Yeah. And what were those, I mean, what were those about? Some of them was daily life, how I was living, the choices I was making. Some of them was um, just the way I thought about things. If you know me, you know I'm a challenger, so I'm always going to push back at any question. Um, and I did that often, I still do, um, but I got the pushback as well, you know, um, the challenge of why do you think this way, why do you feel this way, or I would challenge you to think about it differently, and it was never a, you're wrong in thinking this way, but maybe think about it differently. How do you think God used that to change you? It made me think about it differently. Yeah. (laughs) It's the simple answer. I mean, when somebody doesn't outright say you're wrong, but they're willing to hear what you have to say and then say, mm, maybe here's a different way to look at it. It's easier to let that sit on you and sit in you and welcome it. Yeah. What does it cost you to be a part of groups? Uh, a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially now that we've moved. I mean, I live essentially an hour away. So it's a two-hour drive just to go to home group, but I don't want to give it up because it matters. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Um, so there's a, yeah, there's a lot, know each other through group life. Are you, are you known? Do people know what's going on? Um, have you been resisting the commitment that it takes to engage in a group on a regular basis? And our groups have been pretty flexible because seasons of life, um, but that, it matters. And that's an input and a condition for growth. Follow Jesus by serving others. Um, so Jesus said at one point, uh, if anyone would come after me, he said this multiple times, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And there's something about 
um, serving that like, um, it's, never, it's never, on the front end of it, it always, it's supposed to feel like denying yourself because that's what it is. <laughs> uh, but on the back end, like there's a losing your life, but then a back end that you're saving it. But if you're losing your life just to save it, then you're saving your life and not losing your life. Like you really got to feel like you're losing something in order to save it. Um, C.S. Lewis said this about love. He said, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Uh, as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. And so there is a, a step of like taking your part in the body of Christ and serving in the way that you feel like God's called you to, that you don't realize that, the life-giving nature of it, until you're on the, the back end of it. You know, I think about mission trips. I don't know if you've ever taken a short-term mission trip. These things are amazing because um, you, you go where somebody tells you to for a week, and it's usually not a terribly exotic location. You go, you do whatever they tell you to do. Um, you eat whatever they tell you to eat, and that's not always, you know, comfortable. You sleep in uncomfortable places. I can remember being in, when we were first married, we went to Haiti, and being on a concrete floor, six of us, like, just shoulder to shoulder, and in the middle of the night, feeling like a bunch of ants were crawling across my mouth and like swiping them, realizing some giant spider had just crawled across my mouth. And I can remember that 20 years later, however long it's been. Um, you, uh, you do that with a group of people that there's always one or two people on that mission trip that you would not pick to go on the mission trip with you, right? Can I get an amen if you've been on a mission trip? It's just good. It's all right. It's all right. Um, and you pay to do it. And then you come back and you're like, that was the best week of my life. Like, why can't the rest of my life be like that? Because for a week, you chose to serve in whatever way God wanted you to serve. And you feel you lost your life. And you found it. And, uh, and so that's just, we're just challenging people to find at least one place where you can serve. And I, you will get it back on the back end, you know. It may be children's ministry when you see a child get it or a parent express their appreciation or you see a kid that you taught years ago get baptized. Um, it may be when, if you're part of the hospitality crew, when you see newcomers come on a Sunday morning and they're connecting, like it's super satisfying for me to see newcomers be connected with other people just because I know it matters so much. It can be if you're part of this tech team or the worship team on one of those Sundays where you just tell people are connecting with the Lord in a different level than on an average Sunday. And you thought, man, I'm so tired. I don't know if I can do this, but, but like you have new energy after those things. Um, right now, we have the goal of increasing the number of people that are serving in one place well, increasing that number, and decreasing the number of people that are serving in three places or more. Because we've got some people that are serving in multiple places, and, and they're going to burn out. Now, extra credit's welcome. You can serve in more than one place. That's okay, you know. We just want to be um, cons careful with that and, and want everybody to have the chance to participate. Uh, Jason, you can come up here. And um, Jason teaches in our... Uh, in our children's ministry, what do you, who do you teach? Hey, this is good, yeah. Uh, the third through the fifth graders. You got to get close to that mic. Third through fifth graders. Let's do this here. Short people up here, including, including me. No, it's me. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, why do you do that? Well, uh, when we first came to Oak City, we were looking for somewhere to get involved. And at that time, we had a one-year-old, I think. 
And so it made sense to serve back there. And I thought, well, she's one now. By the time she's in third grade, I'll be really, really good at this. And so first of all, that seven years went by really fast. And second of all, that was, that's not how that so you didn't go to school. You didn't go to school to teach third to fifth graders. I did not. Yeah. What did you go to school for? Uh, engineering. Yeah. So, and his engineers are pretty known to be socially awkward introverts. So <laughs> being in a class, a room full of eight, seven, eight, nine-year-olds can be terrifying. But um, yeah. So that's the analytical side of my brain. I thought seven years of practice, I'll nail it. Yeah. That's that's not. That's Looking not at you and the thought of you being terrified by third to fifth graders <laughs> is. Thank you for that. Depends on the day. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, just showing up, being available, and God, you know, God really does do the rest. And and Kelly, Kelly Gay is back there. She does a great job putting the lessons together and all the activities. And How has that helped you grow? I just interacting with the kids. They're they're amazing. The, the children that I interact with, they're incredibly smart. They know the Bible probably better than you. So that's the other side. Do you have to be smarter than a fifth grader to teach fifth grader? No. Um, so, uh, but just learning from them, you know, every Sunday I ask a question expecting a simple Jesus answer, which Jesus usually is the answer, but often get so much more back. You know, the history, the history of the Bible, they understand and have been learning for, for so long. They, they know so much when they, they get in there. It's incredible. And you said that kind of challenged you to step your own game up. It did, yeah. It, it did, definitely, to, to dig into the Bible a little bit more and, and learn, learn more about Jesus. Great, thanks. Great. And you do learn a lot. Like a couple of years ago, I knew that Nate Anderson was getting boots for Christmas at least a month before Christmas. So <laughs> you, can, you learn a lot back, back there. <laughs> Jason Wright, ladies and gentlemen. Man, some place to be given yourself away. And that can be inside the walls of the church or outside. We, I mean, our children's ministry had two families that had babies within the last few weeks. We, we, um, we've got more babies on the way. We've got some babies, not us, but like some babies on the way. And uh, we had to split our pre-K room recently, but we need more people. That's great news for us as a church, but we need more um, people back there. We need a few more tech folks. We need some folks on the worship team. Basically, anything you can see on Sunday mornings, we could use a few more people on those teams. You may, it may be outside the walls of the church. You may have a burden for what's going on in our city. We have this, um, you know, the, the collection for folks that are... Um, that have experienced sexual abuse and trying to minister to those women, and that's the burden on someone's heart. Uh, I was at Adopt-A-Block yesterday with Weston and Megan. They're like the pastors of Washington Terrace and have developed these relationships over long periods of time because that's like they have a huge heart for what God's doing there. Um, this is another story for another time, but Megan Anderson has this Bible study with women that she ran with in college. This is like five years ago. It's been a... It's been a no, when you ran with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but she's kept up those relationships, and God is doing miracles, right? Like planting, watering, you get that, right? Planting, watering, nurturing, protecting, and then God is doing amazing things right now. Um, so serve one place well. Be, be, in, be engaged with what God's doing someplace, and help a friend discover Jesus. And this is a push, um, but also like, um, permission. And so just like, this is not, this is, it's, we just kind of get in our shell sometimes as Christians and don't think either that God, we just, 
We don't want to get in an awkward conversation. We don't believe that God can use us. We just want you to be like normal people that love Jesus and love your friends and are intentional about spending time with them and praying that God would give you a chance to share like what he's doing. And so this pray, share, invite is the language I'm going to use this year. Pray, share, invite. Are you praying for some people that God's put in your life that, that aren't walking with Jesus? Are you sharing, are you looking for chances just to share with them like what God has done in your life? Because the better friends you are with somebody, the deeper stuff you talk about. And if Jesus is real in your life, you can't talk about deep stuff in your life without talking about Jesus. And if you have a good relationship with someone, then it's just a natural thing. Um, and inviting them either to an event or to church or, or to Jesus. And so those things. Um, there are a lot of other things. Those are the four things we're focused on. There's a lot of other things that we can be doing or we could focus on. Those are the four things we're focused on. The one that I feel like mm, is prayer, and prayer encompasses all those things, and we're praying while we're doing all those things, and so prayer is like a constant thing, and I will caveat it with that. But I'd ask you, especially if Oak City is your church, how are you doing with those, with those things? Uh, being consistent on Sunday mornings, um, are you known the people here that know what's going on, and that's typically going to happen through group life and consistency. Are you serving in at least one place well? And, and how is your heart for um, what God wants to do in the lives of the people around you? There's something ironic about this, because when we started the church, um, I thought about this the last month or so. When we started the church, we kind of de-emphasized Sunday mornings, because we came out of a big mega church where Sundays was everything, high production value. We're like, Sundays doesn't have to be everything. We need group life, and we need to be involved in our city. And then slowly over time, we're like, hey, y'all, Sundays are really important. <laughs> and like the liturgy of Sunday mornings, the routine of it just matters in our formation. And the other thing at the beginning is our languages were, were learners, lovers, and givers. Learners of God's story in our place and it, lovers for God and everything that he's created and, and givers of all that we've been given. And we didn't want to say learn, love, and give. We wanted to say learner, lover, and giver because if you know who you are, you'll know what to do. But then after a while, we're like, people know who they are, but they're not doing anything, you know? <laughs> and so we kind of come around full circle. We've learned. We've grown. It's good. And uh, to more of like, hey, let's simplify this a little bit. And just ask yourself, and my guess is that a lot of you are, do, are doing really well on three, if not four of those things, and like, I just want you to be like, all right, we're creating the conditions for growth, and we're going to pray, and God's going to do miracles, and it's going to be great. And some of you, it's like, you know, maybe two things, maybe three things, but there's something you're like, yeah, that one thing, I probably need to spend some time with the Lord about that and see how we adjust what's going on in our life or in my heart to make that happen. And some of you are just getting started on things, maybe it's one or two things, and just add um, add one, but that is about, about creating the conditions for God to do the miracles that, that, that we know God's going to do um, because it's what we're called to as a church. All right, I'm going to, the band can come back up here and I'm going to talk for a minute about these baptisms. And, um, and then during this first song, uh, we're going to, we're going to baptize. I came to a youth group a couple weeks ago and, um, just to, just to talk to the kids. And I'm really careful about this. I've been really careful with all my kids that I don't want, I don't want to twist anybody's arm to get baptized because that's not a good reason to get baptized. And when, what I told them is that, and this is like consistent over time, that baptism is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of our salvation. And so when we baptize them, we would baptize them in, in, this is in an early church pastor's, like first century pastor's manual. I think there's probably a lot of ways you can do this, but we baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. But the picture is when we go into that water, it's like we have died with Christ. 
And this is what scripture tells us, that we have died with Christ and we've been raised to new life in Christ. And so when we come out of that water, it's symbolic of us being raised to new life in Jesus. And so, the, and so baptism, I think, is, is first of all a picture of salvation. It is second of all like a, a point in time marker of a decision to follow Jesus. And especially, like a lot of people, maybe myself included, I don't know like when I understood and believed the gospel that God had done something for me I couldn't. It's not about what I did for him, but what he did for me in Christ. Um, but there was a point in time when I, when I signified that. And baptism is like saying, I don't know necessarily when it happened, especially for kids that every week they're here. They may not have a point in time. They may be just like, yeah, I've always been hearing about Jesus, and that makes total sense to me, and I understand my own sin, and I need Jesus. And, and, but this is a point in time where they've declared it. And it's, it's thirdly like a public profession of their faith in Christ. And so I'm going to get them into the baptismal, and we use a confession that is kind of a historic confession that churches have used during baptism. What is your confession? And they will say, Jesus is Lord, and then I'll baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, my, my favorite scripture for baptism is, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, where Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, and the way that it's worded in the Greek is just new creation. And so what we celebrate today is that Christ has washed away their sin and made them a new creation in him. And um, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus and accept who he is and what he's done for you but not been baptized, we would love to baptize you. Um, And so you can let me know that. Father, thanks for this morning. God, I pray we'd never get bored with the church. In a world that wants things now and wants them fast and wants them flashy, Lord, your work takes time because there's so much work that needs to be done in us, but you are faithful to your work. And there are miracles all around this room. Miracles that have happened, miracles that are happening, and miracles that will happen of transformation and us becoming more like you, Lord, and being prepared to spend an eternity in your presence. And we are grateful for your work. We're grateful um, for your grace shown to us through the gospel. We're grateful for your presence and grateful that you have called us into your mission, Lord. We love you. Uh, We worship you. We celebrate you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.